Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing part two of what I've learned from clients over the years. Another thing I want to share with you about what my amazing clients have shown me, have taught me over the years, is this truth about our parenting. Now, when I was going through figuring out that I needed to go no contact with my mother, yes, it broke me wide open. It was very, very, very difficult. What I have come to is that I am actually grateful for how difficult of a person my mother has been in my life. I am grateful for her coldness, for her lack of trying with me, for her neglect. What I have come to know through my clients is something that's very, very hard for each of us to figure out on our own. One of the hardest dynamics I find for a highly sensitive person to deal with is it's in the parenting that is not fully narcissistic, but it has some narcissistic element and dynamic, but also has some warmth. These are the parents that sort of go in and out. In one moment, they might show up for us in a pretty decent way. And then in the next moment, they might completely drop the ball and say something that is horribly crushing or cruel. This is a very tough dynamic to figure out alone. If I just use plain language here, Basically, with these parents, it's not bad enough to go no contact, which keeps you in it, keeps people in the thick of needing to negotiate with self and with that parent, or at least the dynamic of their parent, because it is work. When we say therapy is work, it is work to figure this stuff out. It is work to come from a family with low empathy or low maturity as problems in that family system that may never be named as problems in that family system by anybody else other than the identified patient that brings themselves to therapy. It is a hard, necessary work 
if someone is to have as much peace as possible when peace wasn't available in their childhood. I have lost count about how many people have either sighed heavily in relief or wept in relief if I have shared this simple acknowledgement. Oftentimes, because now people know my story before they come to work with me, they will say things like, I am so confused about why I have so much anxiety or why this is so hard for me. I mean, I wasn't sexually abused in my home like you were. I mean, you were really abused. And I have to lean in there and go, hey, when you compare like that to me or anybody else, it's almost like you're gaslighting yourself. You're not allowing yourself to be in the reality of what you went through. If I use a narcissistic mother, for example, but a narcissistic mother that can also have a lot of warmth, that person may control a holiday, maybe demanding that Christmas or a birthday be done to her expectations exactly. And the threat is that the shame parade will rain down directly or passive aggressively if you don't do what they want. When this son or daughter, this adult son or daughter grows up and tries to establish just a teeny bit of reasonable negotiation to accommodate their grown-up life or their new partner or a spouse's traditions. Or they just want to have more peace and maybe not be on the road stuck in traffic during a holiday. Whatever element that adult kid is trying to negotiate and implement as a necessary adulting with their parental units If that is not received by a parent with some strong narcissistic traits, it's easy to self-gaslight here. Like, why am I making this a big thing? All my mom wants is a holiday. Like, why can't I just give this to her? Am I the difficult one? Am I a bad kid? Why can't I just go with the flow? Aren't I supposed to go with the flow? Why can't I just give that to her? Instead of knowing how to stand their ground and not shame themselves, When we grow up with shame, we learn how to shame ourselves. So we will, in these family systems, shame ourselves into being overly controlled and tell ourselves that that's right. In healthy relationships, imperfect, messy, healthy relationships, because perfect's not available. But in healthier relationships, we can speak up. We can say what we like, what we don't like, what we want to do, what we don't want to do, and we can negotiate. We can even reasonably agree to disagree, and we move on. It's a very difficult dynamic to navigate alone. That tension, that control, those power struggles that are so often a part of a family system that has carried a lot of tension and dysfunction. This is why I say that at a point, What doesn't kill us does make us stronger. That cliche is true. And after it makes us stronger, it also helps us become freer. I feel free of my family dynamic now. I am actually genuinely grateful for how awful my mother has been to me most of my life. And I do have gratitude for what she did do. She had me. She carried me. She put a roof over my head. I was fed, I was encouraged to do well in school and work hard, and those teachings have taken me very far in life. But her absence of empathy and lack of emotional connection, lack of personal responsibility, because she married and handed three little girls to a pedophile when she had been warned. 
That is an extreme lack of emotional connection with your children. All of that gave me permission to go fully no contact. It has been 19, almost 20 years of no contact with my mother. And I did that very young in life. I'll be 43 this year. That remains one of the best decisions of my life. Now, most people do not need to go no contact. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's easier. That's a lot of work, a lot of negotiation with self, a lot of boundaries work, a lot of permission to feel, shift, let go, and flow with what you need instead of flowing with allowing someone else to continue to power struggle and control. It has been a joy in my career to help unite and repair relationships between adult children and parents, especially when I had a brick and mortar office. I would bring parents in with their adult kids and we would negotiate. I would play mediator. It did a lot for my spirit to be able to see parents and children coming together, to know that I could hold space for that helped me be more in trust and faith of the work that I have been doing internally for myself and then with other people. We live in a country that understands that cults suck people in and have mind control over them. Part of why I talk about this, about going no contact, about how hard it is to stay in contact when you come from a dysfunctional family, is because we are as a society uncomfortable with acknowledging that a family has cult-like power over its children. If that family is healthier, is encouraging of those children developing into their own people, that's not a power that ever becomes dangerous. But in a family that is dysfunctional, it is very similar to a cult-like mentality. That family operates very similarly to a cult. You're either in or you're out. You either do what the cult or the family wants and you're good, and if you don't, you're bad. It's a lot of black and white thinking. It's a lot of control. It's a lot of shame. It's a lot of teaching people that you need what the cult or the family is offering and you cannot survive without. So that difference is that people will say, ooh, a cult is bad. Get out. Do you need help? But almost never acknowledge that some families have a level of mind control and dysfunction that is cult-like. People are wildly uncomfortable looking at someone in such a family system and saying, you know, maybe you don't need that family system. It frightens us at our core. In healthy families, even when they're annoyed with each other, healthy families actually want to spend time together. In very dysfunctional families, Often the players in those family systems will tell me, yeah, they never really feel a desire to spend time with their family members, but they have been taught, they have been programmed, they have been cultivated to allow the feeling of obligation to make their choices for them instead of their healthiness, make their choices for them. The serenity prayer is really coming to mind now. And anytime I say God or read a reading that has God, you get to change that into whatever word you need. God, the universe, the love of your dog. It, God is just a word when you're not using it connected to a religion. That means whatever is bigger than us. Maybe it's our collective consciousness. Maybe it's the sky. The serenity prayer is God or the universe. 
Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right, the next thing I want to briefly just share with you, you know, in the last couple years, there's been a lot of psychedelics research in mental health. Now, I've been doing this for 17 years, and I am from the Deep South. I was raised with a lot of fear around drugs. I was raised in D.A.R.E. program where we, I can remember being told that if we ever did acid, we would jump off of a roof and accidentally kill ourselves and not even know what we were doing. They did a good job trying to scare us, but the second we tried some drugs and realized we wouldn't face plant off the roof, we kind of dismissed every warning they ever gave us. I came into my adolescence in the 90s. For most of us that are about my age, we had a rough and tough kind of development. You know, we grew up insulting each other and calling that friendship. In Louisiana especially, we grew up drinking hard, drugging hard. So as a counselor and just as a person, people have sort of always walked up to me and just shared a deep truth. What started happening in private practice is my clients would tell me, Nikki, I did a bunch of mushrooms over the weekend. Can we talk about it? I feel better for months and months after I do some magic mushrooms. Now, technically, a counselor is taught to never, ever, ever allow that, encourage that. I always allowed it. If my clients came that way, some would smoke marijuana and then come to their session. And I would just ask them to let me know if they did any kind of substance before coming to my sessions. I wanted their sessions to be useful, to be productive, to not be a waste of their time or my time or their money or their emotional investment. I wanted them to make sure that we were talking about that they were getting what they needed if they came to sessions that way. Now that I'm in Colorado, it really shows me what my Southern programming is. Now I've made the joke for a long time that the South is 50 years behind. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe some of you resonate with that. Maybe some of you don't. But being in Colorado instead of being in Louisiana or Texas has really shown me the difference in vibe. People who are my age were not raised with such fear around marijuana. And kids that I meet today that have grown up in this acceptance culture, when they see dispensaries that are all over the Colorado area, they see that as a little herbal medicine shop. Very different than how kids in the South now would see that. I can really feel inside of me how I still have some of that old programming. There's a program discomfort that was instilled in me that I work to release constantly. Well before this research and documentaries on fantastic fungi and all of that was out in the atmosphere, I was seeing that psychedelics were really helping my clients, that marijuana was really, really helping my clients. Hi, everyone. It's Jean Chatsky, host of the Her Money podcast. For seven years, my show has been changing the relationships women have with money because make no mistake, when it comes to money, women are different. We face challenges that men don't. Longer lifespans, caregiving, a gender pay gap that just won't quit. Oh, and the fact that the financial industry was built by men for men. We need information specifically for us presented without jargon in a judgment-free zone. And that's what the Her Money podcast is all about. 
Every week, we talk about earning more, spending smart, investing to build the life you want, and protecting yourself from disaster. Subscribe to Her Money with Jean Chatsky wherever you get your podcasts. Because when you own your money, you own your life. Part of what I'm going to do this year for me and for y'all as the audience, I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to do a round of ketamine treatments with a therapist I very much trust here for my chronic pain. And after I do that, I'm going to have her on so that we can talk about that treatment that is being popularized all over the country so that you can learn more about the potential benefits, what the risk factor might be, what it isn't. And I'll tell you very honestly what my experience is with that treatment. And I think the last two things that I want to talk to you about is that what I've learned from my clients and in my own therapeutic process with Lisa Tahir, who is my healer, my spiritual mother, my mentor, my friend, my sister, my mom, so much, is that love is healing. It really, really is. But it takes more than love to heal. Love and money really strike me as two things that are necessary for a good life. But they hold so much meaning that is so much bigger than just the word money or the word love. Money is so much. It's it's choice. It's opportunity. If you have enough money, that money buys you the freedom of stress relief, of not having to think about and worry about and consider money so constantly. So it actually buys time and space and peace. And not having enough is draining, it's wearing, it's a constancy at the forefront of the mind. Money is so much in this way. And love is so much. Love shows up in how we are with ourselves. And if we grew up in dysfunction, a sad, sad truth is that we might have more of a relationship with dysfunction than with healthy love. That might be what healing is lowering our relationship with dysfunction while we up and increase our relationship with self-love and healthy love and relating to others and with others, learning to give and to receive in healthy ways. So many of you are out there dating right now and are frustrated trying to find someone who can and will love you. That's the lens that we tend to use when we're dating in this country, right? Who's going to be good enough to love me? Who can show up in a healthy, loving way? As corny as this sounds, what I have learned from my own life and watching so many clients go through this over the years is that the more that you work on loving yourself, the more you will attune to a vibration of love and we get what we put out into the universe. Loving ourself, figuring out what that means and what it doesn't mean, helps us be in respect and regard of ourselves. And that's how we draw in an energy as we're dating of someone who can love and be in regard of themselves too. Then together, two people from the place of healthy self-love are filling their own cups to be able to show up and love one another. Love is more than a feeling, whether that's about ourselves or loving another. 
Love is a commitment to showing up for ourselves. When I talk to you about healing the inner child, I am asking and advocating that your wisest part, your wise man, your wise woman shows up for your little psyche, your young psyche, your psyche that got a little stuck in some spots where our needs weren't met. So that your wise man or your wise woman basically holds out a hand to your inner child and says, hello, I know you're scared sometimes. I know you're resistant sometimes. I understand why. But I'm here to love you. I'm here to teach you love. I'm here to show you love. I'm here to help us internalize love. We were always meant to be loved. We were born loving and lovable. Love is more than just a feeling. It is a practice. It is a consistency. It is a faith. It is a a self-respect that helps us respect each other more too. Think about how we talk about bullies. We all know deep down, even if it's hard in the moment of someone bullying us to find this sentiment, but we know that that bully is miserable. We know that that bully does not know how to love themselves And we suspect that that bully on the playground is not being loved properly in their home. The more that we own loving ourselves, the less we can allow that critical voice to chew our own ass into the ground. The more that we commit to a self-loving practice and all that that means, we grow a lens and a foundation of love for our life. We learn to have more peace, light, joy, and ease when we commit to loving ourselves. Just like they say about the airplanes, putting your own oxygen mask on first allows you to be able to help the people that are around you. Self-love is not the bad, bad kind of selfish thing that a lot of people will try to convince you of, particularly if you're having boundaries with those people. The more that you self-love, the more that you fill your own cup, the more love that you have to give. There is no way if I wasn't coming from a place of filling my own cup and offering self-love that I could do this show every week for five years. Every loving interaction shows me and reinforces for me how to love myself ever more, better and better, and how to love others more and better and better. And the more love that flows through me as a positive energy, as a commitment to positive energy and the force of love, the more love flows through me as a positive energy. And the more love that flows through me as a positive energy, the more love flows through me as a positive energy. I'm not dysfunctionally positive. I don't walk around in my life like sunshine is just coming out of my ass. You can be a realist, you can be grounded. And you can have a commitment to flowing with your positive energy as an act of self-love, as a commitment to self-respect. And the last thing that I want to say is that acceptance might be one of our most powerful tools. Acceptance is the very end of the grief process. It is the quieting. It is the letting go of hoping for it to be different. It is the end result of the serenity prayer. God or the universe? Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. When we know that difference, when we practice life knowing that difference, 
we are bringing ourselves closer and closer to accepting what we cannot control and to being able to give our energy to what we actually can. That winds up being a form of self-love. So if self-love throws you, if that word is wonky for you right now in this season of your life, let it go and allow yourself to work on acceptance. Work with that serenity prayer. Accepting what I have hated to accept has been maybe the biggest growth point for me. Here are some coaching questions to help you move toward acceptance. What are you not accepting? How long have you pondered what you have not yet accepted? And yes, I'm asking you to name the time as measurably and specifically as you can. Yes, boundaries participants, I know you just remembered that lesson. We get measurable and specific. That's one of the boundaries course lessons. How long have you pondered what you have not yet accepted? An hour, a day, a week, a month, years? Now, ask yourself, how much more time is right for you to give what you have not yet accepted? Would you like to give it another day, a week, another year? Notice what you notice when I ask that question. Do you feel something shift? You feel something open up? Does that shine light on accepting and what not accepting does to our lives? Another question for you, and you can journal these later if you'd like. Is your critical voice invested in you not accepting this? I'm going to ask that again. Is your critical voice invested in you not accepting this? What pattern do you continue if you refuse to accept what needs accepting? What newness do you invite if you accept this? What unknown do you step into once you accept this? If you could zip into the future and chat with your 90-year-old self right now, what would he or she want you to do with this acceptance or not acceptance? The cliche stands, y'all. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. You can feel victimized by what hasn't killed you, or you can look at your strength. Things that I've accepted that have brought me freedom. Here's my very personal list. I have no power to change a personality disordered parent. Siblings in dysfunction sometimes follow the path of the parent. I had no legal right to my stepdaughter, and I could not make either of her parents honor our love or our bond. I lost her when I chose to save myself, and I had to accept that I had to also forgive myself for leaving her. The serenity prayer helped me know that I had zero control to have a child of no blood relation to me in my life. Once I accepted losing her, I also could face that if this didn't kill me and break my heart the way it felt like it did, that I could survive anything. And I choose to look at the strength earned instead of the love lost. Because just because I can't have her love or give her love in this human plane, I send it all the time on the spiritual plane. Because that is what I can do. Allah, the serenity prayer. One of the hardest lessons to accept in my life is that sometimes I can say all the right things, 
ask all the right questions, but I don't have any control over how others show up. Some people say what they say with fluff and no follow through. Others say what they mean and mean to follow through. I can't know until I see that person in action. The more I accept this, the less my critical voice can chew me out when something goes wrong in a relationship or someone doesn't show up pulling their weight the way they said they would. Another thing I've worked to accept, my gut knows, even when my mind and heart do not want to know what my gut knows. I can be in denial to my future detriment, or I can accept and work with the information that my gut and my intuition are giving me. I have accepted that I was born loving and lovable. I invite you to consider accepting that too. You were born loving and lovable too. The ways that others loved us when we were little and showed up for us when we were little, if there were failings there, those failings were about them more than about us. How I love myself now is an honoring of the little girl I was. I've accepted with open heart and open arms that I get to reparent her, that that is the best I can do for my human parts in this one precious life on this turn on the planet. I get to show her the love that she was born worthy of. And I get to do that in each moment, each day. And as I age, I get better at cutting through the drama and the BS, the fluff. And I show up more and more for myself at the core of what I need. And as an honoring of who I am, who that little girl was, I learned to love myself and it has been a delight of my life witnessing others learn to love themselves too. Don't you dare let that critical voice convince you that all the love in the world isn't available to you. Because what if it is? What if it's learnable to be able to feel the love that you've always craved? I know it's risky and it's vulnerable. And that inner adolescent is like, uh-uh, I don't even want to try. Shut up, Nikki. You are in charge of what your wise man or your wise woman says. What if it is learnable? What if you could learn it? Don't believe me just because I'm saying it. Let yourself get there. But what if you can learn the love that you've always craved? What if you really can learn to give it to yourself? When we are going through this work, it feels like we're never going to get to where we want to be. That's part of the trick of the pain. It's part of the intensity of being a highly sensitive person, that whatever we're feeling right now in this moment feels all-encompassing. That's just a trick of the feeling, y'all. I can hold hope for those of you here who are scared to hope in this kind of love being available to you from you in this life. So when you can't hold the belief that you are lovable, that love is learnable, and it is available for you and to you and with you, then this is where I can lean in and actually own, I am the expert here. I can wave that little expert hat sometimes. And no matter how you might feel, no matter how many low feelings try to convince you that these feelings are facts when feelings are not facts, I can wave my expert hat and say, I am the expert in this. 
And loving yourself is available. I promise. And when you can't believe it for yourself, just let yourself know, I believe it for you. Yep, without even meeting some of you. Because it is part of the human condition. Don't die of terminal uniqueness. This is a universal truth about humans. We are born lovable and we can learn self-love no matter what we have been through, no matter what we were born into. If you want to come hang out with me on Patreon, come hang out at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. We just completed the February live stream at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. If you want to come listen to that, you can sign up right now and listen to perfectionism. I could also call perfectionism the anti-self-love demon that we get possessed with when we grow up with a lot of chaos or dysfunction or unsafety or neglect. Perfectionism is a sneaky bastard. When we learn to look at and change our relationship with that perfectionism, we also get closer to self-love. The inner expectation to be perfect really robs us of owning, accepting, and loving ourselves through our own humanity. So to come listen to that talk and see the questions that were submitted by fellow Patreon people who participated, patreon.com backslash emotional badass. If you want to participate and submit a question, the next topic for March is about getting out of dysfunctional relationships. My story is an open book. When I say you can ask me anything, I mean anything. As long as I can find a way to make it therapeutic and helpful, I will share anything. If I think it's just asking me to ask me, I will turn it into some kind of lesson because I am in respect of your time, your energy, your effort. Light and love. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Bye-bye. you find it hard to sleep at night then the calm cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long calm cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires all of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast calm cove is brought to you by the team behind sleep cove the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. <laughs>